0: Our scripture for this morning comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 16. The verses we're about to read are the verses that come before the text we just heard a couple minutes earlier, before we hear the praise songs that the Israelites had. Let us go back to the beginning of 1 Chronicles 16, verses 1 through 6. They brought in the Ark of the Covenant and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it and they offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he distributed to every person in Israel, man and woman alike, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. He appointed certain of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and the second to him, Zachariah, Jael, Shemermoth, Moth, Ja'il, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed, Edom, and Jael with harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and the priests, Benaiah and Jahaziel, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. I was walking through the grocery store a couple weeks ago. I had reached the checkout counter in record time. I was working through my list of errands, you know, the cleaning and the tidying and getting the car oil changed and then finally going to buy the groceries for the week. I was in the zone. In the getting things done zone. You know the zone I'm talking about. So I reach the checkout counter conveyor belt thing and I begin to unload my groceries onto the checkout counter. At this point, a very nice young man offered to unload my buggy and place my groceries on the checkout counter. He was very very nice. And it was a really nice offer. But I was hesitant to let him help. I bit my tongue and I backed slowly away from my cart of groceries. Now let me explain something to you. I am very particular about how my groceries are unloaded onto the checkout counter. I mean very particular. The items go in groups, right, so I put the vegetables first and then the fruits right after it, and then all of the dairy products are grouped together, and then behind them the box of crackers with the box of cereal and the dry goods and the eggs and the bread at the end. You get the idea. I am more than a little OCD when it comes to organizing my groceries at the checkout counter. My reasoning? course, because there is one, is that if I can organize my groceries on the front end, then there's a better shot of them all getting in the bags grouped together, and then I can get them to my kitchen and efficiently unload my groceries. An entire bag of fruit straight into the refrigerator, all the dry goods right into the pantry. There is a reason behind my particular placement of my groceries at the checkout counter it's okay. You can laugh at me the next time you see me at the grocery store for how particular I am about my groceries. Nevertheless, this really nice young man at the grocery store begins unloading my cart of groceries. Before I know it, the milk is beside the bag of spinach and one avocado is on the conveyor belt with the box of crackers and the other avocado is three rows back with the cheddar cheese. Why not put the two avocados together? (laughs) Frozen goods next to dry goods, chocolate on the end, and the bread and eggs are not at the end, so they are in danger of getting crushed. It's absolute chaos, and at this point, I kid you not, I'm about to come apart in my mind. I'm screaming to myself, you should have never let him help you. And I'm also screaming to myself, this is just about groceries. The young man must have known that something was wrong because my face was contorted and the inner turmoil I was feeling about what I was supposed to do in this situation was seeping into all of my facial expressions. I looked at him and he looked at me and the way I saw it, I had two options. Option one, to look at the nice young gentleman and say, it's not you, it's me which is a really weird line to be crossing my mind at the time because he wasn't asking me on a date. He was just unloading my groceries. The other option was to smile and say thank you. I opted for that one. And I watched as he haphazardly took all of these things off the checkout counter and haphazardly put them in the bags. My pulse racing, becoming more and more worked up by what all is going on. Finally, at the end of this grocery store excursion, this very nice young gentleman looks at me and says, I can take those out to your car for you. No. <laughs> that was it. I looked at him as though he had stolen my most prized possession, and I shook my head in exhaustion and exasperation, and I actually said, no, no. Please don't. (laughs) With that, I rushed the groceries out to the car. The order in which my groceries are bagged matters to me. Not because it matters to me what bag all my groceries are in. It matters because the ordering of my groceries serves a purpose. Ordering the groceries on the front end is to efficiently get them where they need to go. The liturgy... The elements of worship that we have in our service matters. Our order of worship matters. Today is the first Sunday of our new series called Worship Elements. But before we can understand each of these individual elements of worship, we first have to understand worship. What is it? Why do we do it? What's the point? Knowing the answer to those questions about worship helps us to see that the liturgy we have, this order of service we have, is with purpose. There's a reason for the call to worship and a reason for the confession of sin. These things are ordered with reason. Each component of our worship service is important. And each has a purpose. Our purpose we will start to unpack week after week as we look at each individual element of worship. But collectively, all together, the elements of our worship service are structured and ordered together to help facilitate our worship of God. Liturgy matters because it gets us where we need to go. It gets us before God. C.S. Lewis states this, Every service is a structure of acts and words through which we receive a sacrament, or repent, or supplicate, or adore. And it enables us to do these things best. If you like, it works best. When through long familiarity, we don't have to think about it. As long as you notice and have to count the steps, you are not yet dancing, but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe you don't notice. Good reading becomes possible when you need not consciously think about eyes or light or print or spelling. The perfect church service would be one where we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. Getting used to the ritual of liturgy facilitates our worship. It allows us to stop focusing on each individual component to make sure that we do it right and instead to participate while focusing our attention on God. This is what the text in First Chronicles is getting at. In this text, the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the tent. The Ark of the Covenant is where God dwells. Isn't it interesting but around the Ark of the Covenant, David appoints men to invoke, to thank, and to praise God. Isn't it interesting that men were also to stand around the Ark of the Covenant and play the harp, the lyre, and the trumpet? David appoints men to basically hold a constant church service around the Ark of the Covenant. Men were appointed to stand around God's dwelling place and hold a service. They were told, Invoke God. That's our words for a call to worship. They were told, Thank God, i.e., pray. They were told, Praise God, i.e., proclaim who God is, and then make music. David gave the Levites a liturgy. He gave them a worship order with which to worship God around the Ark of the Covenant to invoke, to thank, to praise, and to lift up songs. We have a liturgy. We have a worship order that we use to worship God. Once we know it well enough, once we are familiar with it, we stop focusing on the individual steps of a dance, and we begin to finally dance. Like C.S. Lewis explains, Our familiarity with liturgy is in service to helping us encounter God and to not focus so much on the mechanics of worship, which is good and true. Familiarity does get us to a place where we're no longer learning the steps, so to speak, but actually dancing. But what C.S. Lewis fails to further explain is what happens when we become too familiar. What happens when we are dancing, even dancing freely, but dancing alone? Not dancing with God, with our attention on God, but alone. Being too familiar with the liturgy gets us to a place of knowing how to participate without thinking, but it has the danger of leaving us as a group of people going through the motions and never once turning our attention to God. Going through the motions but never encountering God. And everything that we do in worship is about getting us to a place where we can encounter God. The worship of the Levites around the Ark of the Covenant was about getting them to a place where they could encounter God. Which isn't all that surprising since they were worshiping around the very place that God dwelt. I do wonder how many times the Levites standing around the Ark of the Covenant got so focused on the mechanics of their worship service that they failed to see that the order of their worship was supposed to lead them into deep encounters with God, not into deep arguments about the correct way to worship. I wonder how many times the guy playing the harp got mad at the guy playing the trumpet for skipping him in worship or for being too loud. Or how many times the guy praying went way too slow and took too much time and then the guy playing the lyre had to get cut? Or how many times the guy calling them all to worship got mad because he was supposed to go first and they skipped him again? Getting preoccupied with worship, I wonder how often they miss the fact that they were in God's presence. I have a pastor friend by the name of Christian Andrews. Christian started a ministry with teens in New Jersey who love skating at the skate park. For days and weeks and months, Christian would go to the skate park and sit and watch them skate. He would talk to them as they approached him. He would be there every day, consistently, reading a book or the Bible or just hanging out. Eventually, the kids got used to them, and eventually he got to build a rapport with them. They became curious and interested by the fact that he was a pastor. So Christian took these kids from the skate park, and he started a Bible study. One night a Bible study, a huge group of these kids had gathered together, and Christian was telling them the story of the prodigal son. You know how the story goes. A father has two sons. One of the sons asks his father for his portion of the inheritance. The father gives it to him. The son goes away. He gambles it and wastes it until he has nothing. And finally, when he has no money and he's eating with the pigs, he decides it's time to go home. As Christian tells this story to this group of kids, the kids are sitting on the edges of their seats. They're enthralled in the story. He gets to the part of the story where the father sees the son far away, coming home. Christian stops. He looks at this group of kids, kids who are unchurched, kids who have never heard the story before and He asks them, what do you think the father does? One kid stands up and he yells, he kills him. Convinced, that had to be the end of the story. At which point Christian looked at these kids and he said actually he didn't. He ran out to his son and he embraced him. We've become too familiar with the story of the prodigal son, that we miss the presence of God. Christian was reminded that day that by the reaction of those teens, of the awe of encountering God, those teens reminded him of how powerful God's presence is, how powerful and unexpected God's love is. Sometimes we have to defamiliarize ourselves with things that we do and hear in worship so that we can see God again. We may not be standing around the Ark of the Covenant, but we too gather here in a place where God dwells with us and in us. We, too, are in the presence of God. We, too, gather with our worship services, ready to walk through the motions we've been appointed to. And I wonder how many times we get so focused in on the mechanics of our worship service, the mechanics of the right liturgy, that we miss the encounter with God. An encounter that liturgy is supposed to help facilitate. Coming too preoccupied with the order and neglecting the encounter with God is to confuse the importance. Order allows us to get to the encounter. That's why it's important. Going back to the incident at the grocery store, The particular ordering of my groceries is not about me being able to look in the trunk of my car and see a bunch of well-ordered grocery bags. That's not the point. The point is getting them where they need to go. It's not about leaving the groceries in perfectly ordered bags, it's about being able to get them to the right place. And you know the ordering of these grocery bags makes absolutely no sense if they're not headed to my kitchen. In the same way, the ordering of our worship service makes no sense if we aren't on the way to God. Don't get stuck in the liturgy. The liturgy is the grocery bags. It's how you carry the stuff. But the point isn't the bags. It's about getting the stuff where it needs to go. Liturgy isn't about having the right order or the perfect service. It's about getting the stuff where it needs to go. The stuff is us. It's about getting us before God into the very presence of God that we might encounter him pull it apart for you. Your guilt doesn't need a prayer of confession. The prayer of confession is what gets us to God's forgiveness. Our disharmony doesn't need a passing of the peace. The passing of the peace is what gets us to the body of Christ having many members but one body. Our hectic weeks and racing thoughts don't need a call to worship. The call to worship is what gets us ready to notice God's presence. And the pastor doesn't need you to listen to his or her sermon. The sermon is what gets us a little piece of manna that will give us the strength to make it through the week. The Levites who surrounded the Ark of the Covenant, who surrounded the very presence of God, used liturgy. They worshiped God so they could encounter God. I care a lot about how my groceries are ordered because I can already see where they're going. I want to get them where they need to go. Ordering our service, participating in the liturgy, is to the end of getting us where we need to go, which is into the presence of God. If we focus only on the order, the mechanics of worship, it's like leaving the groceries in the trunk of the car, neatly ordered, perfectly organized, and rotting. Being here in our rightly ordered service with these elements can get you right where you need to be, won't do you any good if you're not encountering God. So, if you don't realize the truth that you are in God's presence, if you aren't willing to look for your dance partner instead of dancing alone, if you aren't amazed by stories like the prodigal son, you might as well be sitting in the trunk of your car. Neatly organized, perfectly ordered, and rotting. Don't be surprised if over the next several weeks the components of our worship services shake you up a bit because I believe that they are facilitating our encounter with God. Worship is about encountering God. So tread carefully. God just might show up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you are here and you are present. We are standing in your dwelling place. Might we notice? Teach us again to notice you, to pay our attention to you. That while we go through the motions of this worship service, that the rituals have become so ingrained in us that we are here, open, ready to hear you, ready to listen, ready to follow you into whatever you have next. Open our hearts and our minds to feel you in this place this morning. And bless us, bless us as we listen for your word, knowing that you will continue to lead us into joy and into the fullness of life.